0: All right, Psalm 127. This ties into the prayer as well because in Psalm 127, you're gonna see that if we live our life independent of God, it's vanity. But if we live our life dependent upon God, then we can actually have labor that lasts. So I've titled the message today, Labor That Lasts. Psalm 127 is the builder's psalm. Here's the deal. In this psalm, Some people actually break this down into two sections. They talk about the first two verses. They do an entirely separate discussion of verses three, four, and five. I think this Psalm has to stay together and the reason is because there is a Hebrew wordplay taking place here. So this Hebrew wordplay, the word build, the word house, and the word children all have a similar root. And so there's a wordplay being driven through this that encourages us to keep this together. And so the word children there in verse three ties it back. And so this Psalm, as you will also note, this is not the inspired part, this is added later by editors, but a song of ascent of Solomon. So Psalm 127, you know, we've looked at a Psalm by Moses, we've looked at many Psalms by David or some that we don't know who's written. This is attributed and strongly believed historically to be a song, a Psalm of Solomon. And so this plays into the word vanity or vain that we're going to see, because we all know that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanity says the preacher, and so if you're into cliff notes, which none of you are, or if you're into summaries, which none of you are, or if you listen to your lectures on 1.8 speed instead of 1.0 speed, which none of you do, or maybe you do, this is the cliff notes version of Ecclesiastes, all right, in two verses. That's pretty good. Ecclesiastes tells us, what's the end of it all? Remember the Lord and fear him in your youth. And so here we're going to get this text. In this text, here's my main idea. God can make our work truly meaningful. We're going to read it, but what you're going to see in it, and what I don't want you to do, is live your life working really, really hard day after day after day to wake up one day and ask yourself the question, did it really matter? So God can make our work truly meaningful. The differences we're gonna see is dependence on God versus independence from God. If we seek to live our life in independence away from God, as busy as we could possibly be, gathering all the toys you could possibly gather, at the end of your life, you may look back and say, have I really accomplished anything? But if you use all of those same gifts and dependence on God, working to build God's kingdom, investing in what God's up to in various places, investing in people for all of eternity, then you can have truly meaningful work. Here's our outline and then we'll read our text. Verses one and two, futile or futile, depending on how you pronounce it, labor. Resistance is futile, futile labor. If you work without God, it's not gonna last. Second point is a faithful legacy. Or you could title it a fruitful legacy if you so chose. Let's read our text, Psalm 127. You there? Notice the word build as a repetition, the word vain as a repetition. And if you're able, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon unless the Lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain unless the Lord watches over the city the watchman stays awake in vain it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Lord, would you tie my words to your text? Would you speak to us through your spirit? Would you help us to be drawn closer to you for Jesus's glory and in his name, amen. And you may be seated. All right, not many verses, simple text. Let's work through it. First, we start off with futile labor. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The word build here could be discussing something broader than just a house. It could be discussing a society, a family, a church, or perhaps even a place like a Christian university. And so what it's saying to those of us who are faculty and staff here is that if we seek to do everything in a certain way and leave out the Lord, we could be doing all of this in vain. What it's saying to all of you is that you can get up every morning early and you can work really, really hard and you can go to work day after day and you can spend all of your time working and you can go to bed late and you can be anxious about all that stuff. I'm sure none of you can relate to this, right? I mean, none of you get up early and worry about your syllabi and then wait till the last minute to do your exams, and so then you're staying up late or your papers, and so you're cramming for all this type of stuff, and then you're worried, am I going to make the grade I need to make, and you get through all of that, you feel this passage. You feel the aspect of getting up early and working really hard and then going to bed late, and then you're tired, and then all of a sudden spring break comes, and then you should rest, but instead of resting, you like go off to the ends of the earth and have great adventures, and that's awesome, and then you come back even more tired, and then the last month of the semester, everybody's walking around with a cup of coffee in one hand, wiping sleep out of their eyes in the other hand, because it's one of those, it's, it's the push to the end, we see it. You look differently, different, you look different in the spring semester in March and April than you do in the fall semester in August and September, How many of you feel it? So imagine living your entire life that way. Imagine living your entire life in April with exams and papers looming and you're working that hard to wake up one day at retirement age and to look back and have to ask yourself the question, does it really matter? And for what have I labored? So student, here's my appeal to you right now. As you think about your career choices, as you think about where you're gonna land after school, as you think about what you're gonna spend your life doing, what am I majoring in and why am I majoring in it, that you don't do that independent of God. You don't do that thinking about, can I live the American dream? Can I just have a whole lot of money and a whole lot of stuff? Can I get a really big house? Can I drive a really nice car? Can I have all of these toys? Can I have multiple houses? Can I have a lake house and another house and another location? And can I I go to Disney every year? I like Disney, I'm not talking bad about Disney, but can I go to Disney every year? Can I do all these type things? to realize that you've done it all and you've done it independently of the Lord and you've kind of pushed him out of your life and you've done all these things and you've got all this stuff and all of a sudden at the end of it, it didn't satisfy you and you've lived your life and used your best years and you have nothing of eternal significance to show for it. So would you ask yourself the question right now, in your mind, the goals that I have set for my life, if I obtain those goals, If I'm able to do everything that I set my mind to do, will it make an eternal difference? Will I really have accomplished anything? Because this text warns us. It tells us, unless the Lord builds the house, those that build it labor in vain. You have universities all across this country that can build really nice buildings and really nice programs and do really good things but they have left God completely out of it. They are pushing secular humanism. They are pushing worldviews that are completely contrary to the word of God. And when you look back at the end of that, what have they really accomplished that's gonna have any eternal significance? This ties back into to Psalm chapter 90 we did a few weeks ago. Number our days. We're the dot on that rope, remember? Friends, we have to not waste our lives. It continues on here. It says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In vain, repeated here, it's gonna come one more time too. So you can do all that you can do to protect or make something safe. And if the Lord's not watching over it, it's in vain. You really can't do enough to protect everything. Natural disasters happen, things happen. So friends, where do we put our trust? We don't put our trust in our own abilities and our own strength. We don't put our trust in our military or in our government. We put our trust in the Lord. Because unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now look at what it says in verse 2. It's in vain that you rise up early and go to late rest. Go to late, late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. We feel this, for he gives to his beloved sleep. When we lay down our heads at night, if we have served the Lord and followed the Lord, we should have a clear conscience that allows us to lay down our heads and be able to sleep. We should be able to rest. Some other translations actually translate this, that he gives to the beloved in their sleep. You'll see that if you're looking at the New American Standard or the NIV. Listen. As hard as you can work as much as you can do, if you're doing it independently from the Lord, it's not gonna matter in eternity. So think about that profession. I'm gonna be a teacher. Where am I gonna be a teacher? I'm going to invest in students so that I'm investing in their lives in a way that allows me to have eternal significance because I'm going to lead them closer to Christ and I'm going to cast a vision for their life where I can pour into them so that I can make a difference for all eternity. I'm going to be a civil engineer, but I'm going to do my civil engineering in a country where a missionary can't get into because it's a closed country and you can't share the gospel, but they need civil engineers because they don't have good roads or clean water and I can be a civil engineer and use that gift that the Lord has given me in a way that I can take the gospel to a place that has no gospel message so that then somebody in that language, in that tribe, in that tongue may profess the name of Jesus and be in heaven with us one day for all eternity. Similar to what Matt Carter was saying to us a couple days ago. When we stand in heaven and look around, are we gonna see anybody that we made a difference in their lives because we were focused on the gospel here? It says that he gives to his beloved sleep. Don't be anxious. So confession time. How many of you wake up in the middle of the night with your mind wondering about things that you have to do the next day? Anybody anybody in the room here? Some of you don't. Are you kidding me? So I do it all the time. It, whatever's going on at the university, there's always something going on. I'm awake at I have three, three, four, five, whatever a.m. it is in my mind wondering. Now, I know theologically, I can do nothing about it. I can't control it. God's in charge, God's sovereign, he's got it covered and it doesn't matter. I'm still waking up at three, four or five a.m. thinking it through in my mind, playing out every scenario this week's no different. So even as I'm preparing a text to preach to you, which says, don't be anxious for anything. I mean, basically, that's what he's saying. In the New Testament, we know it says, don't be anxious for anything. And it says here, eating the bread of anxious toil, he gives to his beloved sleep. Even though I know I'm supposed to be sleeping, and I shouldn't worry about it, God's got it, it's his problem, here I am waking up at 3 a.m. So it's confession time. You know why I'm waking up at 3 a.m.? Because we're trying to hire a women's basketball coach. I'm playing through every single scenario in my mind. What's going on? Why not? Why has that person said yes yeah. What's Lord, what's happening here? Awake for two hours from 3 to 5 a.m. thinking through every scenario that I can do nothing about and have absolutely no solutions. And at 5 a.m. when I finally fall back asleep because I'm exhausted, you know what I figured out? Nothing. <laughs> wake up. Something's going on with senior care pharmacy. I'm playing it out in my mind for two hours. At the end of the two hours, you know what I figured out? Nothing. You know what I've been better off doing? Trusting God and staying asleep. But I don't know how to do that very well. And I suspect there are some of you that are just like me that you really like to be in control of everything in life and you're not getting enough sleep. I know you're not getting enough sleep because you're college students and we see some of the really dumb decisions you make when you only get like four hours of sleep and then you come tell us I made a really dumb decision and the first question is how many hours of sleep are you getting? And you're like, oh, I'm sleeping really good. I'm getting five hours of sleep. And we're like, (laughs) listen, the book says seven to eight hours of sleep for your age group every night. That's what you need. If you don't get it, you gotta catch up eventually. And you come to us saying, yeah, I'm living the dream. My grades aren't that great, but I'm living the dream. Yeah, get some sleep. All right, (laughs) Matthew 6, 25 says, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, what you drink, nor about your body or what you put on. The Lord laid asleep in a boat when the waves were tossing and the people who were professional fishermen thought they were gonna sink. And he was asleep. And they came to him and said, don't you care? Oh yeah, stop it. Knock it off. And the waves that you can't stop? Yes, sir. And the wind that's out there today that we don't like? Boy, would be nice, Lord, if you would just do that again for us one time. Stop. And it stops. Peter in that boat, Lord, do you even care about us? But then you see Peter later on in Acts after he's learned a little something, which apparently I need to learn, but he's learned a little something and he's between two people. These two people are soldiers because he's in prison and he's sitting right there, and tomorrow he might die. And what's he doing? He's asleep. And the Lord opens up the jail cell. Hey, boom, door out of the way. Hey, Peter, let's go. Peter, are you awake? Hey, dude, I said let's go. Come on. Oh, yeah, I was sleeping. You're going to die the next day. How are you sleeping? God's got it, He's in control. So for those of you in the room who are like me and you like to control every single thing in life, learn sooner than I apparently still have, haven't learned that you can't control it all in life but you have a God that can and you can trust him and get some sleep. I'm reminded of a poem by Percy Bysshe Shelley. It's titled Ozymandias. So to set this up, I'm not gonna read the whole thing to you but to set this up, there are remains of a statue. There's two vast legs of stone and there's a base. And that's all you see is the two vast legs of stone and a base. And the statue, it reads, here's the quote from the statue. And on the pedestal, these words appeared. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing beside it remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare. The lone and level sands stretch far away. How many of you like history? Dr. Mack raises his hand out there. That's a good thing because that's what he teaches. If you study history long enough, you're gonna realize there are people who thought they were the greatest thing that ever happened and nothing they did lasted. Don't be those people. All right, we got a fruitful legacy or faithful legacy. Point number two. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. So hear the word reward in the Hebrew, signifies God's blessing and benefit he bestows on men. This verse clearly indicates that children are a blessing from the Lord. So I wanna talk about that for a minute because that's not what our society tells you. So I understand that in any audience, those listening or otherwise, there are some who cannot have children. There are some who have infertility issues. I wanna be sensitive to that. And so I recognize that. And so I'm not... I'm not saying more than I'm saying. And some of you will actually struggle with infertility. That doesn't mean you can't still have a pro-children understanding. It doesn't mean that you still can't understand that children are a blessing from the Lord, even if that's the struggle that the Lord has given you. But you have to recognize here that we live in a society that does not value children. We live in a society out here that says, okay, you're gonna do away with Roe v. Wade? Well, well let's, there's actually one school in the state of Ohio that's putting the morning after pill in vending machines on their campus so that students will all have access to the morning after pill so that they can all take those so that they don't have children. Like our society does not view children as a blessing the devil wants to do away with the family altogether. If the devil can do away with a solid mom and a solid dad investing into the lives of children and understanding that those children are a blessing and destroy that very fabric that God has set up as the basic building block, you can destroy an entire society. And so the family is under attack. We should not be surprised at that. Children as a blessing are under attack. We should not be surprised at that. Now we're at Cedarville. So in a lot of places where I might speak, or a lot of places in our country, and I say children are a blessing, that's really going to hit up against a wall. But I have to recognize, we live at a place where we have faculty members that have 10 kids, or 13, is it 13? 14 now, <laughs> with the birth of another new baby. None of the 14 are adopted either, right? Am I right on that? Yeah. Some of you are in this room, so I wanna say who they are. How many of you came from large families? Large, okay, I just said 10 and 14, so nobody's raising their hand. Large family in our society would be over two kids. So how many of you have two brothers? Oh, yeah, look at that. All of a sudden, hands go up everywhere. Oh, if that's large, then yeah, we've got like six in our family, that's just normal. Yeah, so everywhere, hands go up. This is not the norm in society. You can ask some of these who come from larger families, six or more. People look at you weird when you go places. You can't even rent a car that would take you places. They don't rent cars that are that big, they call them buses or airplanes or something of that nature. Like they don't. Our society, we don't value children. And so, what I want to say to all of you as you think through these things in your mind, this text is telling you that children are a blessing from the Lord. Children are not an inconvenience to be put off to a more comfortable time. Children are not a burden that you have to tolerate. Children are not a curse because somebody sinned and had sex before they were married as a teenager. Children, no matter where they are born or when they are born, are a blessing from the Lord. It's what the text says. So somebody gets pregnant at a time they shouldn't get pregnant, that's a blessing from the Lord. There is no other blessing that you can show me in the Bible that Christians walk around and say, I don't want any more of those blessings, Lord. Except children. Think about it. I mean, it's one of the conversations you have when you're dating. It's in all of the books when you're preparing for marriage. How many children do you want and when do you want to wait till you have them and how does this work? And you have these conversations. You have them in your fit to be tied programs that you have here. I mean, you talk about, do you want kids? Do you not want kids? How many kids do you want? What kind of kids do you want? And the ladies already have all the names listed out. <laughs> they, I, I ought to make you raise your hand. How, I'm not going to. Maybe I am. Hey guys, if a girl shows you her list of names and she's got like 30 names for like two to four, or six kids, that's normal. Like that's, I'm just warning you guys, they do it. Don't be freaked out and run away if they already have a list of names. They can be normal girls. They can be awesome, God-loving, normal girls who just value children as a blessing from the Lord and have a crazy list of names out there. And it's actually good because then you don't have to worry about coming up with names. You can just pick the one you like off their list. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Only at Cedarville. That's so Cedarville. We should bring that marketing thing back. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Are you getting that? Am I communicating that clearly to you? Listen, I'm gonna work. I like to work. I really like to work. You can ask my wife. I'm happy when I work. I love working. People are like, why do you work so much? I like it. I love what I get to do here. I can work incredibly hard, but if the Lord's not in it, what am I doing? Like I'm not against work, and neither is this passage. But when I die, most of it's done. Except if I've invested in you some and you carried on, or if I've invested in my children and my children are around after I'm dead and gone, because you know, probably they're going to be the ones to bury me. And then their children, because I've invested in them, they continue that and invest into that next generation and that next generation and that next generation, the stuff that lasts. It's investment into other people. It's investment into the kingdom of God. It's not about what I can get. It's about what I can give and what I can invest into. All right, I gotta move on. I will get to a fun part. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So in case you didn't believe that children were a blessing from the Lord, a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. It says it twice, it repeats it, it's there. It's like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. Do we have any bow hunters in the room? Wouldn't it be nice if I had my bow with me to show you what an arrow looked like? Oh, I do. Oh, yeah. I'm not shooting anybody, don't worry. Yeah, so this, this, is, this is the real deal. And I actually do know which way it goes. Um, so this is my Matthews compound bow. We had Matthews, we had one of the brothers speak here. And so I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna shoot it, but you know, it hooks in like this and you pull back. And so this is my quiver to my bow. So when I get up in my stand, you know, I pull that off. And so we'll put this down so people aren't scared. And if you've never seen one of those before, it's okay. All right. In here is a full quiver. Now, I'm not telling you you need five kids in order to have a full quiver. That's not where I'm going with this. I don't think the text <laughs> says that. Like that, if you've got 12 or 13, or whatever. I mean, you've got a bigger quiver, it's okay. But it says in our text that like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So let's have a little fun with this. All of these arrows are brand new. <laughs> Somebody's taking flash pictures up there. <laughs> this is gonna be bad on social media. This was a bad idea, right? I'm having fun with it because this is the illustration the author gives us in the text. So this is text-driven, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. A warrior does not take an arrow that's broken and put it in a quiver or that hasn't been formed yet. Now, in their day, they wouldn't have had graphite arrows like I've got stuck in here, but they would have had arrows And even in those arrows, the wood has a natural bend to it. So they would apply pressure against the natural bend to get the arrow to be straight. And they would only put straight arrows that are gonna work really well because they're going into battle. Their life is dependent upon this into what they're doing. So those those soldiers, they would have a sword for up-close, hand-to-hand combat. They would have a spear for something a little more distant. They could even throw the spear if they wanted to. But if somebody's really far out there, which is the safe way to go get it, they're gonna have some of these arrows. And in these arrows, they're gonna shoot them out. And so just take one, for example. So this has a field tip on it. So that means that it's not, it's a tip that's not very dangerous. So I'm not going to cut myself up here. This goes into, when I'm practicing, it goes into a target. And this arrow, uh, you, have, you have the tip, you have the knock at the back, uh, you have the fletchings or the feathers right here. Yeah, I told them to get a close-up. They're doing a good job. And so if you're, if you're looking at mine, i got to be still so they can get it in focus. My fletchings, what color are those? Yellow. It's as close to yellow as I could buy <laughs> They're yellow, just trust me, go with it. I have a lighted knock on the end right here. You can't see it because I haven't shot it. But when I shoot one of these out, my lighted knock lights up blue. These are my yellow jacket arrows right here. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I bought, but when they sting, boy, whoo. So When you take an arrow, you're going to make sure you have an arrow that is good. It's not going to break, especially one of these, because if you take an arrow that's going to break, then when you shoot that arrow out, if it splinters, you can destroy your own hand. But these arrows are devastating at a really long distance. Well, not this one. It's got the wrong tip on it. Now, this one... It doesn't have the wrong tip on it. It has two razor blades on each side and it has a hypodermic needle point on the top. And when this thing hits a target, it flares out to the side. I'm not gonna be able to show you very well. I'll just try to hold it this way. It flares out that big and as it flares out that big, it's spinning like this. So it cuts a hole that big in whatever it hits. This arrow has an intended purpose. Its intended purpose is to do damage. The other arrow has a different intended purpose. And what the text is saying to a generation who all knew how to shoot the arrows and the bows is your children, as you invest in them, as you put them on the right trajectory so that they're gonna hit the target one day, they're like arrows in your hand when you're going into battle. They are of incredible value. They are a blessing. They are something you want as many of as you can possibly get and you want them to be as well designed and crafted as possible. Does that illustration make a little more sense to you now? Arrows in the hand of a warrior. It's children. It's the value of the family. And listen, most of you in this room right now, you need to go write your parents a thank you note. Uh, if they were here with you today because you're at All Access, at some point in time during the day, not right now, at some point in time during the day, you need to thank your parents. Because most of you have parents who consider you a blessing from the Lord. And they have poured into your life because they want you to be launched at that trajectory to glorify God for the rest of your days. And they have worked really hard. Because I'm going to tell you, children at all moments in life don't necessarily feel like a blessing. Sometimes they're gonna feel like other things long before they feel like a blessing. But you have parents that love you and care. So don't take that for granted. Thank them for the investment they've made in your life. Dan Estes quotes this as he's, you all know Dan Estes. Many of you have had him for Old Testament. Just reading through his commentary on this. Here's a, here's a quote. He says, for a life to be truly significant, it must focus on whom it can build for God for tomorrow not just on what it can build for itself today. You get it, right? My labor should be who can I invest in and what can I build for tomorrow? That's why our faculty are here. They wanna build and invest into you for tomorrow rather than just in stuff for today. Here's another way to put it, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So I didn't read this text to you this morning so that you could say, well, it's all vanity. I don't need to do it anyway. I'm just gonna go be lazy and play Xbox or Quest 2 or whatever you're into right now. No, work hard, work hard for the Lord and know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So here's your application questions just briefly. I've already mentioned one of them to you, but here's your applications just briefly. The psalm does not encourage encourage or command laziness. That's not what it's talking about. So don't go to your faculty members and say, I didn't do my homework because it's all in vain anyway. If that doesn't work, you will fail. <laughs> it commends us seeking the Lord's blessing on all of that work that we're doing. Number two, are we trusting in our work and our ability rather than recognizing the need of God's favor and God's blessing upon all that we're doing? Are you planning your life independent from God? Are you planning your life dependent upon what God's gonna do through you? Challenge your own questions here. Do you think about children and family as a blessing or burden? And then the final question, what are your goals? And if you achieve them, what will you really have accomplished? I don't wanna see you waste your life. I want to see you come back at a reunion 10, 20, 30 years from now and show up here and be so thrilled at all the Lord is doing through you and all that you've been able to accomplish for his kingdom that you're just excited to continue working and serving the Lord. Dear Lord, today I pray that if I've said anything good or positive, that's in accordance with your word, that it would stick. And Lord, if I've had too much fun or said something that is not right, just let them forget it, Lord. Lord, may they just focus on your text and what it says to us, and Lord, may all of us seek to use our lives, not in a vain way. Let us not waste our time or our abilities or our talents, but let's use them for your glory. And Lord, may we all recognize that you have established the family and you have established children as a blessing, and may we live in that way, even if somebody doesn't have children. May we demonstrate a care for children by serving in children's ministries and in nurseries. And Lord, may we live our lives thinking about children as a blessing before the Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you all.